0: Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Product Powerhouse Podcast. I am just so excited as usual for today's episode. (laughs) Today we have on the show one of my new online friends, Bridget Brown. So Bridget and I met earlier this year on, I think we were connected through a mutual friend and she asked if we could have a coffee date and... We just headed off Im- immediately because we both love Parks and Rec, and we both <laughs> admitted to watching Sex in the City, which you'll hear in this episode. But it was just really, really fun to get to know Bridget this year. And as soon as I knew I was starting a podcast, I asked her to be on the show, and I was just so freaking excited that she said yes. And you'll be able to tell throughout this conversation that she is just phenomenal. And she has a ton of experience in the business world and being an entrepreneur. And I'm really, really excited to bring some of her story out. So Bridget has an unbelievable background in creating and selling her very first business, which was in the wedding industry. And she talks about that story on this interview. So you're going to love that. And then she's also the creator of Filbert, which is a luxury vegan handbag brand. And she started branching out in Filbert and has a few new products. She has a really cute sweatshirt, um, a canvas tote or not canvas, um, chambray tote, I think is what it is. Uh, she just has some incredible really thoughtful products in her Filbert store. So you're definitely going to want to check her out there. Now she's also created the Advisory Guild, which is business coaching for creative entrepreneurs. And she's been working with a lot of e-commerce stores, although she works with a little bit of everyone. But I think her background in e-commerce is just invaluable. Like, There is just so much you can get from working with a coach or working with someone who has done the work themselves. So Bridget has created multiple businesses, product businesses, and now she's helping other product businesses start their business. And as you guys know, that is why I created this podcast is to bring support and community and all of those things to the product-based business world. And this conversation is just one of my favorites I've had this year. We did the interview really early and then we had to wait a while for it to come out because I had so many guests lined up, but I just have been anxiously waiting for this episode and I am so glad that it has finally arrived. So let's just go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Product Powerhouse Podcast, where we talk about what it's like to run a product-based business. We'll be sharing specific, actionable tips for your online store, chatting with other shop owners to go behind the scenes of their successful product-based businesses, and having a blast talking shop. I'm your host, Erin Alexander. I'm the founder of Alexander Design Company, a web design and marketing agency for e-commerce businesses. We work with incredible entrepreneurs to create an unforgettable online presence for their shop. Now grab a nice coffee and let's chat. Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk with you.
1: Hi, Erin. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I would love to start off our conversation, as always, with... Uh, a little bit about who you are, your background, and about your business.
1: Great. Thank you. So my name is Bridget Brown, and I i guess I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had a, a few different businesses now, along with my husband, Nick. So we actually started our first business together way back in 2000 in San Francisco, um, which was during the first dot-com boom. For the millennials here who don't know, there was actually a first dot-com boom before the current one. Um, So we came up with this idea um, for this business called Bella Bridesmaid. And at the time, there wasn't really um, a one-stop shop you could go to for really chic modern bridesmaid's dresses and we felt like the timing was right. Weddings were just kind of taking on a new life at that point and becoming uh, more of an event, and girls couldn't find really great bridesmaid dresses. And so we opened our first store in San Francisco in 2001. And fast forward, um, we ended up franchising that company, grew it to 43 stores across the U.S., and then we eventually sold that company in 2012. Um, so that was our first business. Nick, by trade, is a photographer. Um, so we were both kind of immersed in the wedding season together during that time frame. Um, after we sold Bella, we took some time off and traveled, and then we started looking at what what we wanted to do next. And both of us had have always wanted to make a product all the way from idea to production. And we found that really mm-hmm. fascinating. And we also wanted to support. The resurgence of domestic manufacturing. So I had recently become vegan and I was really struggling with shoes and bags. I found that you could find really, really cheaply made, you know, something that you would pick up at Target that was um, mass produced, um, fast fashion, if you will. On the high end, you could buy Stella McCartney and you could spend, you know, fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. And I found, I felt that there wasn't anything in the metal that was made mindfully and made in the USA. And so we jumped in knowing nothing um, about the world of manufacturing. And we learned a lot and we had a lot of failures, let me tell you. And I'm going to touch on this later on when we talk about my consulting business and why I think you learn more from the failures and the successes a lot of times. But we have had quite a ride with that business. It has been really up and down. We have been from nine factories in two years. We just can't seem to find the right production partner. Um, And so last summer, I've kind of come to the place of um, kind of treating Filbert like an evil stepchild and kind of giving it the side eye. And I felt like I needed a break from it. <laughs> and it, it's, it was really crazy. This was last July. And in, in that moment, when I decided to just press pause, was when someone approached me and asked if I would help them and consult with them. And the rest is history. Here we are a year later, um, and I've now worked with lots of female founders on on their business, whether that's as a true advisory board um, and sort of, you know, helping with growth strategy, um, having download sessions a few times a month. And then the other client we work with is someone who is at the very beginning in launch mode. And we sort of serve as a guide and sort of help them along the way and facilitate the what now and what next. I think it's so cool how you've done all these different things and It gives you an edge
0: that makes you like so in my mind, like you're so smart. And I love learning from you every time we talk and every time you share on Instagram. I'm really inspired by your story. So I love that you went all in on that. Thanks, (laughs) Erin. Thanks. So now you're starting or like kicking off a little bit more of the advisory board. So do you want to tell us about that?
1: Yes. So the advisory guild was really truly came out of what we felt like we never had in our previous businesses, which was someone we could go to and ask the big picture questions, ask, how do I do that? Do I do that? Am I making the right decision? We just could never find that. I mean, I think you're in an interesting place with small business ownership in terms of um, CEO type, you know, advisory type positions. Really, no one is in a position at that level of their business to hire a six-figure CEO, let's be honest. But that's kind of the advice you were needing, someone who's really been in the trenches. And we just found like we never had that with our previous businesses. And we thought, well, okay, if we if we were really craving that, surely there's a lot of other business owners and founders and entrepreneurs who are craving that as well. And we, we were right. Um, I've definitely seen that there's a need for this. Um, So far, all of our clients are female founders. That is not on purpose. I just think women are better at asking for help. (laughs) But everyone is in, like I said, different stages of their business. Um, So it's either someone that's at the beginning and we can sort of help figure out what that process looks like of launching their business, their product, whatever it might be. And then we also work with um, entrepreneurs who are maybe in year three, four, five of their business but wondering what, what does it look like next? Maybe their lives have changed personally since they started the business. Maybe at the beginning they were single and now they're married with three kids. And so the business has to look and feel a little bit different and has to work a little differently for them. And then we have other clients who are looking at either bringing on investment or partners, maybe looking at selling their business and we can help guide and advise on that as well.
0: Awesome. So do you mostly work with product
1: businesses or do, are you working with all types now? A majority of them are product-based e-commerce businesses. And I'll tell you something interesting just this year because of COVID we we have a lot of businesses who actually were direct to consumer, but also had a wholesale side. And that is almost entirely shifting now, right? Because a lot of those right. brick and mortar and retail stores are no longer. And so that was a part of their business that went away. We do have a couple of retail brick and mortar businesses, which is really something I'm uh, so passionate about because that's my background. And I will tell you, my heart goes out to anyone who had a brick and mortar business this year. Because what they were dealing with is just an entirely unexpected and different. And then we have got a couple clients in sort of the wellness um, fitness space as well. Really cool. Can
0: we talk a little about like where you see the future of brick and mortar going? Like, do you feel like these brick and mortars are going to recover from having to shut down? Or do you feel like the face of
1: retail is completely changing? I think the face of retail is completely changing. It pains hmm. me to say that I don't think we're going to see the recovery brick and mortar for a, very, for a long time. However, I, I was chatting with someone about this just yesterday. And I don't know if you feel this way, Erin, but during COVID, I became even more, my, I've always been, I think I've always tried to be a really conscious consumer. I don't buy fast fashion. I tried to buy fewer, better things and make them last. Um, I try to support local business when I can. But I think I became more, even more aware of that during COVID. And I think a lot of other people did too. You can even see it in uh, masks. Like I feel like everyone tries to support like smaller Etsy designers when they buy more masks, which I think we're all buying multiple masks right now. Because um, you need, you know, several in the car, several in the house, <laughs> but like yes. scattered everywhere. Um, but I don't know. I feel like, do you, have you felt like that as well, that you've been more mindful of like supporting small business right now? Absolutely. Um, I, I think I noticed it most in like our eating,
0: because when COVID started, it was like, we're going out to eat to support the not out to eat, but like ordering out or ordering in to support the small businesses. And I was going to the coffee stand every single day because... I felt like that's the small thing I could do to help them keep their business open because my coffee stand is also one of my clients and I really, we're good friends. Like, I really love them. So it was like I was mindful of where I was spending my dollars. But I'm also in a unique situation in my town. We don't really have small businesses. Like, everything is either a franchise or a corporation. Like, we have a Walmart, we have a Safeway. That's it. Like, there's not a lot of options. And so. It made me more aware of like ordering online and choosing to order from small businesses when I could and supporting the small
1: businesses that I already knew personally. And funny enough, you basically just made the case for why all retail or brick and mortar businesses should also have an online component, right? Right Right. now, because yeah, as people are being more mindful and thinking about that, they are going to turn to looking at where they can buy um, online. Because I mean, you're not unusual. There's a lot of places in the US that are exactly the same as yours. Right. There's not those options of those small businesses to support. And so, yeah, even more reason why if anyone out there right now had a successful brick and mortar and they're sort of in that position of what do I do now, you've got to start the pivot, I think, to, to moving that presence to online.
0: Yeah, and I think, I, I also feel like this shift has, I mean, exactly what you said, like it has shifted so that we are more aware of online, but even businesses who didn't think they needed online We're like, oh, now I need an online store. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of restaurants and things like that. We're in a tourist area for like summertime. We have a lot of lakes. So restaurants and places here don't have websites, but then people couldn't order online from them. And so they were like taking pictures of their menus, but on Facebook, like, and it was really hard to read. And so it was like, even these people who thought that a website was not for them because people have to come in to eat their food. were like, oh, now I need a website Mm There's this one shop that I just adore them. And by a chance, I had gone in there to like look around and they were trying to post something on Instagram and needed help like tagging or doing something like that. And I helped them and I just was like, oh yeah, I'm a web designer. This is how I know. And I became friends with them. And when COVID hit and I saw that they had to completely shut down, I was heartbroken. So I called her and I'm like, what can I do to help you get online today? That's amazing. Yeah, because so many people lost their entire business.
1: Yeah. And it was hard. And I don't think we've even seen I think there's gonna be so much more, sadly. Um I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're gonna see. Because if people did survive, um it's so we're in California. And I don't know if you know, but we recently just went into a rollback. Um, so they pulled back the opening of indoor restaurants, um, breweries, bars, some um, some retail. And so those businesses that thought that they were like, okay, we've got some of summer left. We're going to survive. They're now looking at another three weeks. Um, and then we're moving into a different season. And so, yeah, I, I think we just haven't seen the beginning of it yet. I agree. We're having that same
0: thing too, where business, um, restaurants are like building outdoor seating, but in Washington, you can't sit outside all summer long, you know, like all, all year long. And I do know of at least two businesses in town that completely shut their doors months ago because of this, like they're not reopening and it's heartbreaking. It is. It's really sad. Yeah. We've gone off on a little tangent, but I think it's so important for people Right now, who are wondering how how do I keep going when it feels impossible?
1: Yes, yeah, that's exactly it. And there's there's always a way. And and yeah. look, to be really honest here. The way might be that it doesn't look like what your business right now looks like, and it might be something that you're not comfortable with because it's something new you're going to have to learn. It's like brave mm-hmm. new world. Um, but I think there's so the other thing that's coming up COVID, there's so many amazing online resources right now of yeah. how to make that pivot.
0: Yeah. And I am honestly so inspired by the businesses that were like, all right, let's figure this out. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of restaurants here didn't offer to go, like it wasn't even an option. And suddenly they are offering it. And even I don't know if this is true in California, but now you can order drinks to go, like margaritas from the Mexican place. And wow. it just like blew my mind how quickly they were able to pick things up and like get back in. Because that is the heart of a business owner. Like we are the ones who are not giving
1: up. You know, we've already been through some rough patches. <laughs> it's a hustle, right? Like, uh, and yeah. as before, all small business owners are hustlers. Exactly. Got to make it work.
0: Yeah. So I'm excited about the advisory guild and all the work you're doing there. And the fact that you come from this experience of so many things, you've sold a business, you had a brick and mortar and you also have your online shop. So are you at the place where you're, where Filbert is like still in business? Or are you completely shifting over to the advisory guild?
1: Huh. So, this has been the past couple months has been a really big moment of soul searching for me and Nick with Philbert and Mm -hmm. where to go with it. Um, And I I love talking about this transparently because I feel like so many people don't talk about uh, the, the failures in business and, like you always say how business isn't always rosy. Yes. To be really honest, the majority of the time it's not always rosy. It's always that in-between stage of figuring out what to do next. And so I, I sat with it this year a lot. Um, and it's, it's so funny. So our first business was a very emotional decision for me when we decided to sell. I had built it from scratch. There was franchisees involved. Um, and there was that emotional component then of these women who have, you know, built these amazing businesses um, under the umbrella of this. You know, tiny little store that I started out with on in San Francisco in 2000. And so that was kind of a different kind of business. It really was more just my baby. We don't have kids, so we always like laughed and joked about. You know, all the Bella Briceway stores were like our kids. Filbert has just been such an uphill battle from day one. So I feel like I'm a little less emotional about it, which I think is good because it helps to make a smarter decision. At the end of the day, you know, you've got to do what makes sense. And it's something that, you know, I've got to practice what I preach to my clients as well. So I have come up with what I think is like a really good halfway ground. I am going to relaunch with one hero product um, this fall, early fall. I found a fantastic factory in New Orleans that we've been prototyping with. The problem we kept running up against um, in the past was that we were making really structured, uh, really complicated bags and like vegan leather and vegan suede that required a whole different set of machinery and artisans and tools, which really doesn't exist that much here in the U.S. That's more in Spain and Italy and, and Portugal. So when I pivoted, it had to be to a simpler bag. Funny enough, one of our best-selling bags was actually this very simple tote bag, um, which we made in a vegan suede. So I've decided to take that tote bag, make it in a U.S.-made denim, and the New Orleans factory can make this bag beautifully. It's such high quality. It's gorgeous. And I'm going to do a run of that bag, small batch. We're going to make less than 50 pieces and we're going to relaunch with that. We're going to see what the reaction is. Um, and depending on what that reaction is, I'm going to decide where we go from there. Um, but I'm going to be really honest and very transparent here that if this doesn't work, I'm going to look at closing filbert down uh, early next year. Cause I think that that is the best decision um, for me, for the business. I think I've given it a really honest effort. Um, and and yeah, I think, like I said, I learned so much from this world of, of manufacturing that I can now help others um, sort of navigate and stay away from those pitfalls that, that we fell into. First of all, let me say thank you so much for being completely honest and
0: transparent. I love that. I love being a part of businesses that are open and sharing because a lot of Small business owners or people who are building product-based businesses are looking up to those shops and thinking, "I want to do it like them." But they don't necessarily see some of the things that we also go through. That you know, we don't openly talk about because no one wants to sit here and be like, "Oh yeah, well, last month I only made four hundred dollars." You know, like there are times when things are rough. So (laughs) thank you for sharing that. And I really love how you've come at this from a standpoint of like, what does the data say, and what is going to happen, and kind of pulled your emotions out of it a little bit because that is very hard. And I can imagine that you learned a lot going through the process of selling your first business.
1: We did. We learned a lot. (laughs) Um, And, and yeah, and I think it also, it's it's a piece of advice that I do always give other small business owners too, is that when you're starting your business, go into it, looking at it like you're going to sell that business in five to 10 years. Um, I think you run it differently. I think there's a lot of decisions you make differently instead of looking at it as, oh, this is just a little mom and pop or this is just my little Etsy store. This is just my little this. It's just me. That was just me. Um, And then fast forward to 43 stores and selling a company. So I think there's a lot of things I, again, I learned from that that I would have done differently, but that I advise my clients on doing differently from the very beginning.
0: That is such good advice. I actually just read Built to Sell by John Warlow.
1: Have you read that book? I haven't. I don't read. Okay. Oh. Let's, let's just keep going, <laughs> in, let's just going in transparency here. I am a massive reader. I mean, I'm on like my 40th book of the year already. Mm-hmm. I don't read in my spare time anything but fiction and fluff. Ah, <laughs> I, I love it. Self-help books. I don't read business books. And I think they're great and they're fantastic. But for me, like reading books is like my version of Ambien at night. Uh-huh. It has to be like really light. I get it. I find, I go through phases where I will
0: read a lot more like business books or self-help. And then I start to like, feel like, oh, this is another thing that I don't do well. And so I am avid fiction fluff. Like I want to be able to sit down and read this book in three hours tops. Like I love those kind of books. So I'm right there with you. The only reason I read this book is because I'm a part of a community where there's a book club (laughs) and I have never read any of the books and I felt like oh finally I'll just read one
1: (laughs) I think that's fantastic and it's also I mean I look let's be honest I should probably throw a few of those in every year (laughs) all of my um books that are set in the English countryside so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna add that as like this fall Erin you've inspired me I'll add it's super
0: (laughs) short built to sell is super short I think I read it in like an hour and a half I will admit I'm a very fast reader, but it's really easy to read, but um, they went through the same process in that book of how do you take a business, and this is something I'm personally going through, where I have an overload of clients, it's a wonderful problem to have, but I have too many clients and not enough time, and my time keeps getting smaller and smaller, just this week I lost a day of daycare, so now I'm down to uh, two half days and one full day of daycare. And so it's just like, how can you rent a full business in that time? And so part of that is like getting myself out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Oh man, is it done? Just knowing that that's the goal has like freed up anxiety in my body because I'm like, I have so many clients, they all want this from me. And just knowing that I don't have to be a piece of everything in this company has made it more manageable, <laughs> like in the future.
1: It changes your mindset, right? And then as soon yeah. as your mindset's changed, you've instantly got more space in your head and in your body to be able to work through that. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it's funny because even just a few weeks ago, I did a strategy call
0: with like a strategist. She was supposed to help me create systems and processes in my business, which she did. Uh, and But we also talked about this role of like taking myself out of the equation, like being the person who has to touch everything. And it, even that call gave me a mindset shift and it re-energized my business. And I think that that is especially true in a product-based business because there is a lot of pieces like you've already touched on, like manufacturing, working with different people. Eventually like there could be other pieces, franchising, having a storefront, shipping orders, customer service. There's a lot of pieces that go into that and you just can't physically do them all.
1: This is, this is such a great transition into, I'm okay. I'm about to share my biggest, here's the drum roll. Here's my biggest (laughs) advice that I give literally every single client so far is outsource. And it took me such a long time to figure it out with my first business because I thought not only did I have to do it all, but I thought I did it all better. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't outsource anything. But for anyone who's listening right now and who's going through this and struggling through exactly what you just described, which is there are not enough hours in the day and there's not enough me. I need more me's. You have to start looking at outsourcing. And for those of you who say, and this is very often what a client says to me is I can't afford to, you can't afford not to in so many different ways and reasons you can't afford to because your social life, your marriage, your relationship with you, the time you have with your children, that's all going to suffer. So you can't, you really can't afford not to. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that I preach a lot of. And I think some of my clients get hit sick of hearing me say it, but you know, they'll, I had one client who came to me and she said, um, I said, you know, I always I start with, you know, tell me what the rub is right now. Like what are, what's your biggest struggle? Why, why did you reach out? Why were you looking for help? And she was like, well, it's, you know, I'm doing the, I'm making the goods and then I'm doing the shipping and receiving. And, you know, then I do the creative and I post on Instagram and did the order fulfillment. And then, you know, I, I actually do my own bookkeeping as well. And so I was making a list, and it got to the end of it. And I was like, well, but that's like 47 hours of a day. And P.S. there's only 24. So no wonder you've stalled in sales. No wonder your burnout. No wonder all of these things, right? Part of, I feel like what I'm good at doing and what I really push clients to do is very softly, softly, slow, you know, start pulling away those little pieces that you're willing to give up control on and outsource it. And I am so shocked it's usually like by month two where things really start shifting but it's really the big shift I see is in their their outlook and uh their demeanor and how they talk they they some they start out talking about the business kind of like I was just talking about Philbert being that evil stepchild you know they start out like talking about like oh this and this and this and then they just have this newfound love um and enthusiasm for their business again
0: yeah I think that that's really great advice. I I have a team because I thought that I wanted to build an agency, and it's just like such. There's this point where it feels scary to hand pieces over and not be in control, and then and then there's this piece where you're just like, oh,
1: my assistant can handle that. <laughs> like it's like a such a relief, <laughs> and you, but you have to do it. That's the gateway drug, right? It's like when you do it the first time, which is the hardest time. But then after that, you're like, oh, wait, she did a good job. She followed through on what I asked her to do. Did she do it exactly the way I did it? No. But did she do it perfectly fine? Yes.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I am learning through my outsourcing experience is like, I have an amazing VA. I I think she's incredible, but like sometimes she doesn't do things the way I like. And my instinct is to be like, I don't like the way you did this. Can you change it? And that seems like so mean. And I desperately don't want to be like the mean boss. And so, you know, it's just like a shift in the way I talk, like I say things like, Oh, this link wasn't correct. Uh, just something that we need to be aware of to double check Mm -hmm. or this. I don't really feel the vibe of this layout can we try something different instead of like accusatory, (laughs) which is terrible to say, but it was like my first instinct. And so I don't know, there's so much power in outsourcing, even though it feels like you're giving a piece away, there is so much power in it.
1: I completely agree. Yeah. And you learn so much from it. Absolutely. You take that with you through to the next part of your business. Um, Mm -hmm. But the things that can come out of that, of making that space That whatever it was that you were filling with that gap, you're like, oh, wow, now I've got all that time to be able to focus on this aspect of business, which I've never had the time to.
0: Right. So I guess I'm kind of curious a little bit more about your, the clients you're working with, with the advisory guild. And like, you kind of touched on this, but like what kind of transformation they go through when they're working with you? Is is it like ongoing or is this like a set thing you help them
1: with? So we're a year into it and I said that I was going to take the first six months and just really work with a lot of different kind of clients in a lot of different ways to kind of see what resonated with them, what resonated with me, what felt good for the schedule I want to have um, and how mm-hmm. I want to be working with people. So I feel like I'm really just now coming to that sort of, conc- and it's not a conclusion necessarily because I think, you know, uh, the whole... The whole thing with small business, right, is it's like you're constantly changing and pivoting and mm-hmm. um, you have to stay nimble. That's what I always say. The the way that I enjoy working with people and the way that I would like to see it moving forward out of year one, because um, we, we literally just hit year one like this week, I think, which is funny. I really enjoy jumping in with people either at the very beginning of their business and Helping them set up the basically the, the framework, right? Like laying the groundwork, setting up the infrastructure, figuring out who are all of these people going to be that makes part of this village that helps run a successful business. Um, all working together to say, okay, you know, how are we going to launch? What is this going to look like? Ongoing, um, and then I, I really want to remain a part of that business. And move from all hands on deck, let's let's get shit done, basically, to their true advisory board. Um, and that probably would happen, you know, six months to a year after they launch. So I really love this idea of staying on with them um, and having and moving from maybe, you know, several hours a week to maybe it's just once every other week we have these download phone calls. Because I think the... The real gap, I think, is getting someone to help you launch and then setting setting you off on your own. You're free. But then, as you know, all of these big questions of small business continue to come up. No one ever figures the whole thing out. You're just constantly learning and growing. And so I'd like to be that person that's there sort of helping them figure it out as they go along and help make those decisions. And so... I think we'll can I really like this mix we have right now of working with people in different stages and I think I'll always continue that. My hope is that, you know, if you and I were to talk in a year, I would still have most of those clients that I had last July and we've just moved into more of a, um, you know, an advisory capacity.
0: Yeah. I think it's so needed too because I don't know, I've worked with coaches in the past and I just work with them for like, they have like a set package and it's like three months or six months or whatever. And then you're like, now what? Like, (laughs) do I sign up for another package? Do I try a different coach? And, And even just having someone that you can ask is such a comfort. I share an office with another web designer and like we're best friends, but she works with different clientele And just having her as a sounding board is a comfort to my business. You know, like we're kind of at the same stage. We've been in business about the same amount of time, but you just need a support and community around your business, no matter what stage you're in.
1: Completely agree. And to add on to that, it has to really be someone outside of your husband, your best friends. Yep. Which it, it has to be because I'm just gonna say this because it's true. No one loves your business as much as you do. Exactly. And you think you're gonna find someone you're just you're just not. It, no one's gonna love it as much as you do and care for it. But really, you know, it, it is it is a business and it really can't take over those relationships. Um, and I always think back, so okay, this is gonna show my age because this isn't your generation, but sex in the city.
0: I am an avid sex in the city fan. Okay, good.
1: Uh, but there's this episode where she's going back and forth on all the breakups with big. And you know, every Sunday at brunch, they're talking about it. And she sits down and she's like, it's a very quiet table. And she's kind of looking around. She's like, what's going on? But, well, we were thinking that maybe, you know, you would want to start talking to a therapist about this. She's like, well, why would I want to do that? I've got the three of you. And then there, mm-hmm. it's like, silence and tumbleweed comes through. It just starts becoming, taking on a life of its own. Um, And you can sort of start seeing your friends or your husband or your partner sort of like glazing over. Um, And at the end of the day, they don't really know what advice to give you. And it's a very one-sided conversation. It's basically you just venting. The difference with a a brand having someone like me and Nick is that it's a two-way conversation. It's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but listen to this. Or have you tried this? Or what about this?
0: Yep. I'm just sitting here nodding along. Like, yep. 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 (laughs) My husband is absolutely like, you can tell me the stuff, but I'm not going to give you my opinion because it doesn't matter. It's going to be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And 95% of the time, like, I don't, like, I don't, go to him for a business advice, but I do want to go to him to vent about business. <laughs> like yeah. this person thinks I should have emailed them two seconds after they sent an email, you know, like those types of things. But yes, you absolutely need and you also need someone who is been there or has a has experience that can like guide you, even though you're the one making the decisions, that having someone who's been there is ultimately the best thing that you can do for your business. I know I worked with a business coach who has a design agency for six months last year. And that was the best advice because she was open and honest and willing to tell me, Oh, I tried that and it didn't work, but I tried this instead, or maybe do this tweak or, you know, that experience from
1: having done it is invaluable. I agree. You've had The losses, you've had the failures, you've had the wins, you've had this, you've had you've had it all, you've been in the trenches. So you can give that personal experience and know what they're going through instead of just saying, well, maybe this would work. And I do feel like there's a lot out there right now in the world of coaches, life coaches, business coaches who really haven't had that firsthand experience. Um, And I always just caution against that or, you know, signing up for the six to 12 month program, which to me is just doesn't make any sense because if it's not working from the beginning, it's not going to work 12 months in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and that is something I've always felt really strongly about. We don't require a time commitment. Um, We just ask that someone gives us a month's notice if they want to quit. But at the end of the day, if it's not working on both sides, why would either one of us want to continue if Mm -hmm. it's not working for? Um, this is just a side note. This reminds me of a
0: situation where I had a client who paid her deposit or maybe she paid in full and she was like, Hey, I ran into a friend and he said he could help me. And could I have a refund? And it was like, well, I have a no, you know, I have policies, I have a contract, but at the end of the day, I don't want to hold you hostage to working with me, you know?
1: So I was like, yes, you can have a refund. (laughs) If if you have a business where you do have employees, whether yeah. that be if you're a service professional or, you know, working the sales floor at your retail store, the second that an employee stop, loses interest in working there, you need to move on. You don't need to make it work because it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So you've kind of touched on this earlier, but I do love to ask everyone, like, uh, no matter what type of business you're in, I believe that business is not always rosy. Like you said, most of the time it's not rosy. And I think it's valuable that even if you have a service-based business or a product-based business, that um, your experience and like what you're going through right now will help someone else. So I would love if you would share with us like something that you're currently learning or something like a hurdle you're working over to get to the next level
1: in your business. So there's... There's two things actually that come to mind. One is that I think it's very easy to get caught up on the Instagrams with what everyone else is doing, how they're selling their services, what that looks like. And there's definitely, I don't know if you feel this right now, there's a big push towards um, this very salesy type thing of like buying into these plans and sign up now and, you know, you need this for your business and you have to have this. And it's really easy to get caught up in that and and look. And it works for a lot of people because they're like, oh my gosh, yes, no, I do need that. I do need that. Add to cart, purchase immediately. That is opposite of what I feel like my personality is. And so I do sometimes look at that and I look at other people doing that and and it's easy to get caught up in and go, should I be doing that? should I is that is that what I should be doing and just even last week I said to myself a resounding no um that's that's not you that's not the way you work um so that has been something I've been sort of like working through and I feel like I just came to the other side of it and I feel really good about it and as soon as I said it to myself out loud I'm like yes okay and like I'm washing my hands I'm moving on that's not me And then the second thing is, I think, very similar to what you just described, you're going through with your business. And I think a lot of people are going through it right now um, because I I think there's a lot of, of very luckily, so there's a lot of professionals who are very busy right now because so many people, people are looking at pivoting their business, which is great. But I'm just trying to navigate how many clients I can service versus how many hours there are in a week versus how many hours I can give of myself and just trying to figure out what that looks like, um, which I think t- just takes a little bit of time. Also on the flip side of that is also thinking really hard about, do I want to niche down and really hone in on the types of clients I want to work with? For example, only brands in the ethical, sustainable space. Is that too niche? Does that not make it as interesting if it's all like product-based e-commerce businesses, you know, selling ethical clothing, for example, whatever that might be. So I don't think I would ever get that specific, but it's something I kind of think about in the big picture. You know, there's certain things that I'm really passionate about, veganism, anti-fast fashion, ethical living, those types of things. But but yeah, right now, it's really just trying to look at what year two looks like in terms of day-to-day, week-to-week. Yeah, I can relate to
0: that so much. I have this wonderful opportunity where I am a coach in a community and they're all jewelry designers. And so I start to wonder like am I working with too many jewelry designers? Like is it too niche down? Is my portfolio too narrow where other shop owners wouldn't want to work with me? And so I love that perspective of like I just love the way you take everything and you sit with it before you make a decision. Cause I'm very much like, Oh, make a decision right now and deal with the repercussions
1: later. <laughs> I find that very inspiring. Well, thank you. That, but I think that also comes with age. <laughs> My middle age is coming into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> too funny. The other thing you touched on is so,
0: um, where where you're like sit in this position where you have to figure out like what are you really capable of how many clients can you take on and how many th- hours in a week or a day especially right now because i know a lot of women entrepreneurs are also mothers and suddenly we don't have daycare or we have very very limited daycare you know i have friends who who stopped working that you know they were running their own business and they stopped because they didn't have any childcare anymore and it's a different kind of situation and we're all taking that time to reflect on what are we really capable of? What are we really passionate about? And how can we use that to take us to the next level in business?
1: I agree. And I think a lot of people too, are really looking at what their life was like pre COVID and how many hours they did work in a day in a week. And now looking at really what is more important. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it was really, you know, it was this big reset and this, this collective pause for everyone. that, And hopefully everyone's come out on that other side of it, really with a clearer picture of what they want their life to look like and what they don't want it to look like.
0: I completely agree with you there, Bridget. So where can people hang out with you and find you online? I know that after they hear this interview, they're just going to want to
1: find you. So where
0: can we find you?
1: So online, you can find us at the advisory guild Com. And you can learn more about um, our services and we've got lots of testimonials on there of clients that we've worked with to maybe give you some ideas of how we could work with you. Um, I am active on Instagram at the Advisory Guild. And also be sure when you go to my website to sign up for our email list because this month I started my first weekly email email newsletter called Friday findings and a it's super light and fun and quick reads and there are a yacht rock playlist there. So you're definitely going to want to sign up.
0: (laughs) Yes, I can attest to follow Bridget on Instagram. She shares the best parks and rec quotes ever. (laughs) And also, I mean, she's just a wealth of knowledge and then her Friday findings emails are fantastic. I actually shared them as inspiration in one of my other blog posts a couple weeks ago. So go find Bridget, hire her, work with her. She's incredible. (laughs) Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much for coming on here today and your complete and honest, like transparency, sharing the real side of your business. It's so valuable. And I know that everyone is just going to love this conversation. Thank you. This was so much fun. Building visibility for an online store is a full-time job on its own. Big name stores have entire marketing departments for this exact reason, but you don't need a full team to see big results. What you need right now are simple and quick ways to give your store a visibility boost without adding more to your mile-long to-do list. That's exactly why we created the free 5 Ways to Boost Your Shop SEO PDF so that online shop owners just like you can improve visibility and get more eyes on your shop without any additional stress. These five tasks will give your store a juicy SEO boost to help you show up for the people who are already looking for you without touching any code or having a background in search engine optimization. Head over to productpowerhousepodcast.com to grab your free copy and give your shop the visibility boost it needs today. Thank you for listening to the product powerhouse podcast. If you're ready to dig a little deeper into this episode, come join us in the product powerhouse community on Facebook. It's the best place to go to find the perfect partner for your next collaboration, get additional support and trainings, and just hang out with other shop owners. You can be a part of our circle by visiting alexanderdesignco.com community or search for product powerhouse community on Facebook. And if you really loved this episode, open up your podcast app and leave a rating and review. Each review makes it that much easier for other shop owners to find us and get in on this action.